Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a podcast featuring conversations about church, community, and culture. This is your host, Dan Darling. And today, our guest is Tony Morita. He's the founding pastor of Imago Day Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Tony's also an associate professor of preaching at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He's a member of the ERLC Leadership Council. He's written several books, including uh, Faithful Preaching, Orphanology. But today, we're going to talk to him about his latest book, Ordinary, How to Turn the World Upside Down. And uh, we're going to discuss what it means to be a faithful Christian in, in the ordinary practices of life, how to be faithful and ordinary, and yet how that ordinary faith is indeed radical. We're going to discuss his passion for kingdom hospitality, as he calls it, opening up your home to the vulnerable, to people, and having around the table. Talk to him about his activism on things like human trafficking and orphan care. Him and his wife have adopted five children. But before we get to this conversation with Tony, I want to remind you about a new ERLC initiative, Leland House Press. Uh, Leland House publishes ebooks on the intersection of faith and culture. You can also check out the show notes for this podcast and other podcasts on my website, danieldarling.com. And you'll also find links there to Leland House Press. But for now, let's join our conversation with Tony Morita. Tony Morita, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, man. Great to be with you. So I want to talk about your new book, Ordinary. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to, to write this book? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, several things, I, I think, inspired me to write it. Um, mainly, I just I have a passion to show the ordinary Christian, and ordinary meaning, you know, Lewis said there's no ordinary people, so mm-hmm. we're kind of playing on ordinary, extraordinary um, but those that are, you know, the non-professional, non-celebrity mm-hmm. Christians um, who work a nine-to-five job, maybe they have some kids, or maybe they're college students, and they're just grinding through college, living in a dorm, I, I want them to see the significance of living with gospel intentionality uh, every day, and mm-hmm. to see that things that are done with a real, you know, biblical understanding and a real sensitivity to human need and a a, a focus on the gospel can make an extraordinary impact uh, in the world. And some of those acts involve very simple things like showing neighbor love. Mm-hmm. Some of them might be considered a little bit more radical, if you will, like orphan care or, um, you know, advocacy uh, at the at the level of, you know, government, mm-hmm. um, you know, but still— um, some of the things that the world sees as very insignificant, like opening up your home mm-hmm. to uh, refugees, is really an extraordinary thing. So I'm just trying to put a spotlight on that so that, that people can see that it, you don't necessarily have to go to a mud hut in Africa or uh, India to make an impact, though some do need to do that. And, you know, we honor those that do, but it's not it's not everybody, but it's not just those that move their lives overseas that that make a real impact in the world. So yeah, that's it, the gist. It really struck me as I read it. I mean, I, I love the book and I felt like, you know, I, when I pastored, you know, it was hard to find kind of books that, you know, that are accessible, that have a really good theology, but are accessible to like you described, this sort of mm-hmm. um, 
you know, most Christians are you know, working nine to five, 50, 60 mm-hmm. hours a week. They have kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not like you and I are swimming in all this mm-hmm. kind of ministry talk and all the exactly. arguments. And uh, it just struck me as something you could give to somebody to to really get them going in their Christian life. And I felt like it was something like you could give to a new convert, right? To say, okay, this is what it mm-hmm. looks like to live the Christian life. Was that kind of the design? Yeah, I wanted to write a book for everybody. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I could, I'm telling high schoolers to read this. I'm yeah. telling my, you know, my dad's a retired factory worker. My mom's a retired special ed teacher. And uh, I'm telling people that's who I'm writing the book for. I'm not writing it for other pastors, really, yeah. even though I hope they use it. I'm not writing it for people who do book reviews right. <laughs> online. Right. You know, like I'm writing it for my mom who read the book and said, I want to start a ministry at our church wow. for uh, kids that are not doing well academically, that are now vulnerable mm-hmm. because they're not doing well in school. I want to start an after-school program. And I'm like, yes, that's the takeaway that I hope to accomplish, you know, yeah. with the book. You know, there's a, f- there's a few things that really struck me about the book. And one thing was just, and you mentioned this a little bit, but how you really try to um, empower, I guess, you know, or, or show how the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. empowers just kind of your your typical Christians who are not in professional ministry. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, my dad was a plumber, uh, worked worked hard, faithful to the church, gave, tithed. And I always felt like growing up, the preaching was kind of like, yeah, you know, that's nice, but really the real superstars are the ones who are actually getting a check from a Christian 501c3. And I, I felt like the way you wrote this was like, hey, man, people, wherever they're called, can 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 follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you see that in the in the book of Acts where they all in Acts 8:4 they all went about preaching the word and, and which it excluded the apostles. They remained persecution scattered the ordinary Christians and they're making the impact in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've almost uh we we de-emphasized lay ministry if you want to call it lay ministry, mm-hmm. I don't really like the term, but that idea of you know, the gospel went forward on the back of businessmen and mm-hmm. moms and, you know, ordinary Christians. And they uh, Acts 17 says they turned the world upside down, um, which is just remarkable, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the the thing that—the other thing that I really appreciated about this is that you, you refuse the kind of false dichotomy we see between gospel proclamation and conversion and mm-hmm. gospel deeds and acts in the community. Mm-hmm. You explain that— yeah, yeah. Well, that's a real. <laughs> I get so tired of people drawing that distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've been really helped by by your uh, your boss there, Russ Moore, yeah. on on subjects like this. And um, and I don't guess he's your boss. Is probably a bad word. He's your well, whatever you want to call. We call the leader. We call him boss. Or, yeah, around here we call him boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Um, you know, but yeah, I I think. Um, there is a false dichotomy, and I don't think we're doing mercy if we don't do proclamation, and I don't think proclamation is all that we're called to do either. And I think we're to care for the total person. Love your neighbor as yourself, you know, involves the caring of your total self. Like, uh, I think Russ has quoted uh, Carl F. H. Henry uh, saying something to the effect of, you know, because we have the gospel, we don't now refuse to feed ourselves. We don't refuse to clothe ourselves. Right. Um, so why do we look at the world like that and say, well, they got the gospel or all they need is the gospel? Well, they need everything. And what I've found is if you actually just go to places of need, either uh, you know spiritual need or physical need, you end up doing both. And 
Mercy Ministry and, you know, Justice Ministry, Orphan Care, has actually put me in places where I would have never been able to do evangelism, never have been able to teach the Bible. And I think the real burden for Christians is to just show up where the needs are mm-hmm. and to live with a sensitivity, you know, and and just ask, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, I don't think Jesus woke up necessarily and said, should I do mercy or proclamation today? Mm-hmm. You know, I think he just went out and he loved people. So the real issue, I think, is love. And if we're loving neighbor as self, we'll end up doing word and deed ministry both. Um, understanding, you know, I fully embrace that word ministry is primary. And I'm not calling Christians just to feed people and, you know, mm-hmm. make them fat and comfortable and, and never give them the gospel. Again, I don't think that's mercy. I don't think that's real orphan care. Um, because when we care for orphans, you know, we're not the Savior. Bringing them home is great, and it's very important. But we really want to point them to a better adoption, you know, that we have in the gospel. And that's the beautiful thing, you know, about mer- real mercy ministry mm-hmm. is that it mirrors the gospel yeah. uh, in, in every way. So uh, I think the better we understand it, the better we understand the gospel. And the better we understand the gospel, the better we'll understand proper mercy ministry. You know, I want you to talk a little bit about your um, adoption. You've adopted, what, five children? Um, and mm-hmm. and you have a, a book called Orphanology where you flesh out kind of a theology of, of adoption there. But you also have a chapter in this book about it. Um, how, how did the Lord kind of move you into that, that type of uh, ministry? Yeah, it's really crazy. I never, we never intended to adopt five kids. Mm-hmm. We we went to get two kids. We were approved for two kids under the age of five, and we went to Ukraine and we we found a sibling group of four, and so we came home with four instead of two. And then <laughs> after a year, we uh, we we thought, you know, we have room for one more, mm-hmm. and um, feel like we have the capacity for one more. And um, the kids wanted a, a little brother because we adopted three girls and one boy from Ukraine, and um, so we adopted Joshua and. My sister has a similar story. She went to get two kids, later found out one had three other siblings, and she proceeded to adopt them, too. So she has five from Ethiopia wow. uh, as well. And we just kind of laughed because we we never intended, you know, for this to be any kind of platform uh, of our ministry. We just, like anybody else in the church, went to, you know, care for orphans through adoption and uh, ended up getting a slew of them, you know. So, so, we, so when you all uh, get together for family gatherings, you have to rent a hall or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, man. It really is crazy. It's a lot of kids. Uh, yeah, my, and so my parents went from, my sister has one biological child, and mm-hmm. uh, they went from one grandchild to 11 in <laughs> That's great. about a three-year span. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> well, you you also are very realistic in here about what it, about adoption. I think one of the great things in the last several years is sort of the adoption movement and the orphan mm-hmm. care movement in the church, which is really, really wonderful to see. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's also reality of, like, when you do this, this is going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are a couple of dangers with, with adoption, you know. Like, uh, one is we need to be really wise in doing adoption, you know, using very good agencies, reputable agencies, because uh, the, the tragedy is people, uh, they they know the demand, and... Um, sometimes trafficking and all sorts of corruption is involved with adoption. Mm-hmm. And so that's one danger. I would just caution every Christian. I think I think in our, our zeal, sometimes we can make some mistakes and not act very wisely. And then uh, another danger is just, you know, uh, assuming that this, this child or these children 
is going to, you know, complete you or uh, fulfill you. People talk about adoption in very romantic terms, you know, and uh, I always say don't play romantic music. Uh, think gladiator music, you know, mm-hmm. when you think adoption, because orphan care is warfare. Mm-hmm. These kids come with a host of issues, and we've got issues ourselves. And then, you know, the more sinners you put in proximity, the more conflict mm-hmm. uh, there becomes. And then when you add to it a host of psychological issues and abuse and everything else, um, it's a battle. But the uh, the reality is we do it because uh, we're citizens of the kingdom, and we understand, uh, you know, Luke 14, that uh, we, we, we don't do this because of what we can get in return, but we we do it because uh, the King has showed us love. We want to put the kingdom on display, and Jesus says uh, that uh, we'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So I think we really need to make sure our motives are, are rooted in the kingdom, you know, and and not at a surface Hollywood mm-hmm. level, you know, but but rather, you know, why do we do anything as a Christian? Uh, we're not doing it for what we can get or gain in this life. Though we, we do get things, and these adoption many times does bring tremendous blessing. But still, I, I just want to, you know, always put that caution out there for Christians that it's going to be a battle. And, and honestly, anybody who has kids, even biological kids, know that this is, this is a challenge. Oh, yeah. um, so I think people are getting moved by pictures of little, you know, African orphans, and they just think it's cute and cuddly, and it's almost like bringing home a kitten. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, it can it can be a battle. So we definitely want to put that word out there. I really liked your chapter in here on kingdom hospitality. Now, this is an area I think, especially Christians in the West, maybe you know American Christians are not as aware of in terms of uh, Mm. you know you can follow Christ by being hospitable. I think most people would think it's nice to have some people over and fellowship. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of nice, but you really kind of offer a theology almost of hospitality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I almost wrote the entire book on hospitality, and I tell mm. people that's the best chapter in the book. Um, I may not, it might just be I'm 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 really burdened by this, but um, yeah, I'd like to write a book on baptizing your home mm. because I think um, you know the the old cliche used to be the last thing to be baptized was a person's wallet, you know, and I think it's more likely now in America that it's his home or her home uh, to be to be surrendered over to Jesus and to see it as a, a stewardship, you know, mm-hmm. rather than ownership. Um, we like to retreat to our house, and, and obviously we should enjoy what God has given us, and the home is a tremendous blessing to rest and be rejuvenated, but it, it's also a ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, so many uh, Christians never think about what they should do with that spare bedroom, you know, what, what they should do with you know, they got more chairs around the table. Um, they have room, they have capacity, they have the money, and there are people who need a seat at a table, you know, and a, and a bed. So these are, you know, it looks again like an ordinary thing to bring home, uh, you know, someone, maybe someone's been rescued out of trafficking or, you know, refugee, an orphan. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really an extraordinary thing, I think, when you look at it through the eyes of the Bible from Old Testament to New, that Israel was to care for the sojourner, um, because they used to be sojourners, mm-hmm. and they are to understand the, their identity. And then Jesus, you know, applies that, and we see it throughout the New Testament as well. So I think I think we could accomplish a lot in the home, and of course it's not just about bringing them home, but it's also about 
you know, what do you do with them? When you get home, you just don't, you know, give them a bed and say, you know, you're on your own. But now discipleship needs to take place in the home. And now, you know, gospel formation and uh, identifying them in a local church. And there's so many things then to start doing uh, in the home. Most of the chapter I talked about is more of let's open up our home. But yeah. I think there's a lot more that could be said about how do you disciple and counsel and, and use your home then, uh, you know, to train and equip. Yeah, it, it, it is a way, too, that, again, people who live in the West who maybe are not, you know, they're not going to go and move to another context and God hasn't called them to do that, you know, to kind of go move to another country mm-hmm. to, to uh, serve Christ in a kind of ordinary way, just to have a meal mm-hmm. with somebody. It's amazing to me, too, how much um, in the scriptures talks about eating meals together and kind of what that symbolizes, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, Robert Karras wrote a book, Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel, mm. and he says Jesus in Luke's Gospel is either at a meal, coming from a meal, or going to a meal. Yeah. And it really is remarkable as you read through how often Jesus is with people at a table and, and you know, earns the nickname Friend of Sinners, uh, uh, a glutton even, because he's constantly with with people. I don't see that, you know, said about Christians very often these days. That they're, they're always eating with outcasts and mm. the marginalized, and uh, we don't really earn that nickname. We have more of a we have other nicknames, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think we, I think we have a, a much to learn. We we love, I think, like the moral, sometimes the moral ethical dimensions of of what to avoid uh, when we become a Christian. We understand that, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, well, I I can't, I'm not supposed to get porn anymore, you know. I'm not, I can't, you know, um, you know, be abrasive toward my wife. But I think it's the social, sometimes the social dynamics of of the gospel that are the last to be incorporated by a Christian in their maturity, um, meaning um, sometimes we, we, we don't understand now how to how to interact with culture mm-hmm. without sinning, you know, and and how to how to engage people. And um, I think Jesus gives us a great picture of what it looks like to not being isolated and, and also but also, you know, being separated from sin. And one of the ways we, we do that is, you know, having barbecues in the neighborhood yeah. and you know our friends and, you know, things like that. So I think churches that are reaching people, too, are really doing this sort of thing well, or at least they're trying. Yeah. Um, you and your wife are very involved in the cause of uh, human trafficking. I believe your your wife does a lot of advocacy as well. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you share just, you know, how you came to um, be involved in that cause? Yeah, well, my wife is she's the hero, man. And this, um, she had sort of a political background. Her dad's retired army. Mm. Then he worked on the hill for twenty plus years, and um, she worked on the hill before she went to seminary. And um, so she understands a lot of the political climate. I just sort of try to be the Bible guy, you know, <laughs> telling people this is this is why we should be concerned about this. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's way better at the execution of of how do we, how do we do this? And, um, yeah, she's, um, when we lived in new Orleans, I lived there for eight years, uh, even before fighting sex trafficking became a real movement. She was involved with, uh, the battered women's shelter in new Orleans. And mm-hmm. she, uh, she actually led senior adults on mission trips. That was her job in new Orleans. And they would go to homeless shelters and a variety of things. And so she began to interact a lot with, with sort of, uh, that, that, that sad, dark world of abuse and um, 
um, prostitution, and so forth. And uh, then uh, she got involved with International Justice Mission through a friend, and uh, she went on a trip to Cambodia and Vietnam, did some research and did some work there, and uh, came back really just burdened to do more and more. So uh, orphan care sort of overlaps, as I mentioned earlier, with, with some of this work. And well, as we were in Ukraine, uh, we were there for 40 days. And just one of the one of the things that Burden does while being there was uh, the plight of kids, the girls especially, that were not, would not be adopted and their likelihood of being um, deceived and taken and sold, et cetera, et cetera. And now having three girls from... Uh, a vulnerable part of the world um, just intensified our own. We, we can say our daughters and in mm-hmm. these brothels, you know, that coupled with just more work that we've been doing here and uh, involvement she's had lobbying and different things like that has made her now, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, a speaker at you know different events and conferences, and though she's not seeking any of that, she's it, it's just been a snowball effect. She, I don't yeah. think my wife you know started out wanting to be the justice girl, but uh, that's what I call her now. Yeah. I'm the mercy I'm the mercy guy, and she's the justice girl. It's a good so it's a good team. Yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> you know the the the, uh, the the last question I wanted to ask you and or just talk to you about was I really liked how you closed this book ordinary and talked about kind of a God-centered humility. I think, you know, one of the traps when you really start to get involved in works of mercy or advocacy and, and you're really fired up about something, that, which is great, it's to kind of get a sort of Messiah complex, right? That yeah, you're yeah, saving self-righteous. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you're kind of saving the world. And I, I, I just love the tone of this book that it really, it's gospel-centered throughout. And, and mm-hmm. did you purposely end with that so that people would be left that way? Yeah, yeah. Um, I almost led with the chapter on humility. I went back and forth. And, um, you know, Wilberforce is a hero, and so I, mm-hmm. I highlight him uh, in the book. And that's that's the thing that just has always moved me about Wilberforce was his prayer life mm-hmm. and his his biblical memorization of Scripture. Um, it's just it's very, you know, impressive. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I think— um, IJM talks a lot about this uh, in terms of where do you start if you want to be an advocate? You start with being a learner. Mm-hmm. You know, you start with being a listener. And I think the same, it could be said with any justice issue like racial reconciliation. Uh, we, we start with, man, just listening uh, and, 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 and praying because um, prayer is really part of the work, um, which is a, the, perhaps the greatest act of humility is prayer of saying, God, you're God. I'm not. Help me. You know, um, give me wisdom and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a chapter I need daily. Um, and I think this is the one to whom God looks. Those who humble themselves are a contrite in spirit, who tremble at His word. And um, I think those, if a person would simply open a Bible and read it, and just say, you know, shape me according to the Bible, you know, to, I want my whole life to submit to the whole of the Bible, not parts of the Bible, but the whole Bible. Um, and then live with a real spirit-led sensitivity. I think that's where we start, you know. Um, so that's what I'm trying to encourage the Joe the plumber, you know, to do, yeah. is uh, is just read the scriptures, man, 
and apply it and see what, if God may use you to do some extraordinary things. Well, it's it's a really good book, Tony. Really appreciate it, and uh, really thank you for joining me today on the on the podcast. I encourage everybody to go out and get this book, Ordinary. It's a quick read. You know, if I was a pastor right now, I would order a bunch of these for my church and hand them out and have people read them, and just have them also, too, for new believers or new members, people joining. Um, so thank you for writing this book, and thank you for joining us today. Mm. Thank you, brother. Appreciate your work at, uh, at the ERLC. Thank you. Well, I want to thank Tony Morita for joining me on the Way Home Podcast. I also want to thank you for joining me. If you'd like to give feedback on this podcast, please email wayhome at erlc.com. Or better yet, go to iTunes and write a review and share your feedback with others so they can enjoy the podcast as well. If you're interested in other conversations with Christian leaders such as David Platt, Matt Chandler, Molly Hemingway, Karen Swallow Pryor, Johnny Moore, and others, check out the podcast page at danieldarling.com. You can download them there, or you can subscribe to The Way Home in iTunes or Stitcher. You can also find information at my website about our National Conference on the Gospel and Politics and my free ebook, Engage, Maintaining a Christian Witness Online. I hope to see you download that, and I hope to see you at our conference in August. But until then, thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast.